Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 672 with Will Pasho. Again, I'm telling the story because like that is a lesson that has just stuck with me over time. It's like the big lesson is, yeah, if you want to be good at what you do, you got to get it done. You got to execute. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Will Pasha. Will, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, absolutely. Yes, I cannot wait to dive into your story. It's a really interesting one. We're going to get some good stuff today. I have a feeling. I know we are. So after graduating from Stanford, Will decided to go to culinary school instead of medical school. From there, he went on to join the opening team of Thomas Keller's Per Se in New York City. Following New York City, he would come back to California to cook at the French Laundry in Yountville. Eventually, Thomas Keller saw his talent for tech and had him run a, a, all of IT for, ta- for Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. And after launching, oh, sorry, after learning from the best, Will pursued his uh, dream to open his own chain of fast casual restaurants as founder and CEO of Spice Kit Restaurants in 2007, which has scaled to multiple locations in the Bay Area. Today, Will serves as founder and CEO of Paired, a leading hospitality and restaurant network with over 100,000 members. Man, you're doing some great stuff for the industry. I cannot wait to dive into your story and to what, what's going on today with Paired. Really interesting stuff. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, what do you got for us? Mine is uh, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Ooh, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Dissect that. Why does that resonate with you? Uh, like you could say that's sort of been um, my career path. You know, I've been lucky in a lot of ways, but as I connect the dots, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I think I set myself up for for these these moments. Yeah, um, but. The luck is like having that right timing, right? Yeah, and I'm sure as your story, your story rolls out in front of us, we'll see how you took advantage of these opportunities and how you set yourself up for these opportunities. Where does this make sense to start telling your story? Because you went to, uh, did you have a passion for culinary before school, before college? Like, yeah, you know what? Like, uh, I think Steve Jobs said it. it's like you connect the dots looking backwards, right? And um, if I look backwards at my life, you know. Uh, you know, I was on a path to be a doctor my whole life because my, my dad was a doctor and my, my mom was a nurse and my oldest sister, she became a doctor and I, as their only son, was supposed to be a doctor and I was on this, you know, this path, right? Yeah. 
Um, but then, yeah, like you said, like I went to culinary school, and as I look back, I realized that, um, yeah, throughout my entire childhood, my mom was always into cooking, and she, you know, I can remember baking with her side by side, and she'd throw these awesome parties for our birthdays and, and graduations, and invite like hundreds of people to our house and do all the cooking, and. Um, and then in college, like I was, I never ate in the dorms. I was always out eating out nice. at the, the you know, great restaurants in the Bay Area. And so as I look back, I was like, yeah, I, I always had this passion for food, and um, I guess you know that just sort of you know led me to where I am today. I'm really curious too because you went to school, you got your bachelor's in psychology, yeah. right? And I, and I feel like to make it in the industry, it's really you just got to understand people because yeah. you can't do it by yourself. Yeah, you you need a team of people around you to be the best in this industry. Do you think learning about people and psychology and how people work served you throughout your career? Yeah, absolutely. Like everything, you know, everything we do here, um, you know, whether at Spice Kid or just, you know, being a chef, being a leader is all about motivating people, understanding, you know, what, what they want to do in life and their motivations. And then, you know, you know, that's what it takes to sort of scale a company is to get folks to believe in what you're doing. And a lot of that is having empathy for, for the people around yeah, you. Yeah, like, so what I'm pulling is like just really trying to find out what motivates other people, yeah. you know, and, and how you can f- tie what their motivations are to serve yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but is that kind of what you're getting at with that? Yeah. And I think what we're doing with, with paired too, like this, this, this staffing problem or um, this just general work problem in our industry, it ties back to um, understanding what motivates folks. Cause the, you know, the cooks in our industry or the professionals in our industry, some are motivated solely by money and feeding the family. Some want to grow their careers and learn technique and a craft. And for us, you know, using technology to sort of suss those things out so we can personalize those experiences, um, is a big part of, you know, what we're doing here at Paired. So when you made the decision, you're in college, uh, you have a degree, a BA in psychology, mm-hmm. you decide that you do not want to go the traditional route your family thought you were going to go in yeah. uh, studying medicine. You wanted to go into culinary school. How did they receive that? Not well. I can imagine. <laughs> so, you know, my, my parents are, you know, first generation immigrants. And, you know, for them, it was like, you know, lawyer or doctor, right? Yeah. Um, so when I told them that, hey, you know, I want to go to culinary school, not med school, it was it was a series of arguments, right? As you could imagine. So how did you win the argument or... Did you? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's uh, the argument was like, hey, I'll go to culinary school and one day maybe, you know, after that, I'll go to business school or something. I'll okay. go to the Cornell Hospitality School. They know Cornell. It's an Ivy happen. League, right? <laughs> so that didn't happen. But I think what clicked for them is when I, you know, this was like a year at in that per se, like they let you invite your family in. And so my parents came in to have lunch at per se, you know, first time they ever been in a Michelin three-star restaurant and have like, you know... A, 15 course meal and they realized that I was at, at least I was at the Harvard of restaurants. Yeah. yeah. You're doing a respectful work, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, I'm sure that's, that was very important to them. Um, so we got to talk about this, this opportunity. How well, look, you, you mentioned, you know, what was your quote, your opening quote? Say it for me one more time. Like, yeah, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So where was this first, um, situation where you had this, this preparation or you prepared to, to create this luck in your life yeah. getting into the, the Thomas Keller family of restaurants. It's uh, and that, yeah, that, that is like getting my foot in the door there. So, you know, I was a year out of college. I was um, living in Menlo park, studying for my MCATs. I was working at the VA hospital doing lab work, you know, just preparing to go to med school. And, um, you know, it was a nine to five sort of lab job. And, you know, I was getting more interested in cooking. And so there was a restaurant right behind our apartment where I lived called Left Bank. It's a French brasserie, still there to this day. And, you know, one day I decided just to knock on the back door and just uh, say, hey, can I work for free? 
Uh, so, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so the chef, uh, his name's Christopher Floyd. Um, he's like, yeah, sure, come in, you know, like show up on time. I'll give you a beer and a meal at the end of the night. So that's what I did, you know, for, for months on end to show up. I'd chuck a lot of oysters, you know, slice carrots for onion soup, make salads. But I really fell in love with you know the the, the kitchen. What right? was the caliber of this restaurant? I'm not familiar with it. Um, so it's you know it's a French brasserie. Probably seats I don't know maybe 100 150 people. So it's pretty large. Um, you know fast paced. Um, but you know it's it's you know the typical French you know sort of French traditional food like you know French onion soup and yeah. crepes and you know like escargot that sort of thing. So what was your mentality like? What was the 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 reason for wanting to to work for free? Did you just want to be a part of a kitchen? Did you want to learn? Were you trying to start your career? Like what was going on? What was your thought process? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I I think I was bored. <laughs> my 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 roommate at the time he was in investment banking, so I'd never see him, um, and so I was just like, hey, like. I like cooking. Why don't I just try this out? Yeah. And yeah. I say it all the time, like just, you know, you have to give before you get. And yeah. if, if you can get your, if you have to give your time for free to get your foot in the door, there's going to be an opening eventually, you know, like you, you just get your foot in the door to surround yourself with the right people. Um, and it sounds like that's, I don't know if that's what your plan was or if you were just, like you said, you were just bored. Um, was there a part of you that was looking to break into the industry? I don't know if it was that explicit to be honest. It was you just, just like, to do. <laughs> yeah, I knew that I liked cooking and I was cooking a lot at home, you know, reading the French laundry cookbook. And it was just sort of like, I don't know. I woke up one morning. I was like, hey, well, let me just try this out, right? Yeah. So what was it like? You got your foot in the door. What was the first night like? Was it what you expected? Uh, I mean, they were really nice to me. You know, I, I had my, my my global knife, which was like brand new and like really <laughs> sharp. And like, you know, like the chef showed me how to chop onions properly. And, you know, I just sort of fell in love with that camaraderie, that energy. Um, and, you know, they just made me part of the family. So that was really So you great. returned, I'm assuming, a couple of times or was it just one experience here? Oh, no. This was like I'd show up. I think it was like. Pretty much every night of the week. For how long? Uh, for a few months. Free the entire time? Free the entire time. I was having fun. Did uh, did you end up ever working there, taking a paycheck, or did it, did no, it never evolve to that point? No. So, like, at this point, you know, I, I, I made the decision, okay, mom, dad, I want to go to culinary school. Yeah. And around the time, um, some of my friends got a reservation at the French Laundry. And by this time, like, this is Thomas Keller at the top of his game. You know, this is 2003. Um and I know at this point they're opening up per se in New York and I had already sort of applied and gotten into the program at the French Culinary Institute in New York. So, so we go to dinner, the French laundry and I know I'm moving out to New York by this time. And, um, you know, we have this great dinner and I'm pretty much drunk cause you know, they, they give you a lot of wine, nine yeah. course meal. <laughs> and the, the, the server at the time, his name is Bobby Stuckey or he was the Psalm. He was like, Hey, pa- past guest on the show. I is, love, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love when I hear people who've been on the show come back up because yep. you know, it's just kind of cool to see how yeah, these, he's at Frasca these now. Cross. Yeah. yeah so Bobby was our sum and he was awesome like just treating us just it was just a fantastic experience but he's like hey you heard you want to go to culinary school why don't you go in the back of the kitchen after the meal and just meet meet the team and so I go back there at the end of the night with, with my friends and you know again I'm, I'm kind of buzzed you know 23 year old kid I had a lot of wine and the chef back there that night isn't Thomas Keller it's his name is Jonathan Benno Okay. And Jonathan's going to be the opening chef de cuisine at Per Se. And so I'm like, hey, chef, my name's Will. Love to work for you. I'm going to culinary school in a few months. You know, I know you're opening Per Se. You know, I'd love to work for you. And he's like, sure, kid. You know, fax me your resume. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, just to like add a little perspective, yeah. like they must get, they get like pr- probably the most like wanted restaurant to work at in yeah. like the world, yeah, in right? The world. And here you are, um, hey, I'm going to go to culinary school. <laughs> right? Like I want to work here, but at the same time, like I want to highlight the hospitality because Stucky didn't have to bring you back there to meet yeah. everybody. Like 
you know, they, they, they must get people all the time. Like, well, oh, what do I got to do to work here? Like to, to, to put that extra effort in to show you the hospitality, the, to show you like a, a new coming person, like somebody who's new to the industry. Like yeah. that's really cool what yeah. he did. I mean, I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. It was, it, and I can remember that dinner. Like I was you know, talking with my friends and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd be totally willing to like peel carrots for Thomas Keller. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we were looking at our plates with these the little tiny carrot balls that are perfect, you know, perfect spheres, stuff like that. Um, so, so that was sort of like that, that night, right? And so go back to sort of normal daily life the week after, um, go to the left bank, you know, the restaurant that I'm working at. And I'm like, hey, chef went to the French Laundry this past weekend. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, how was it? Did you meet my friend? I'm like, who's your friend? And he's like, oh, his name's Jonathan Benno. Oh. And I'm like, how do you know Jonathan Benno? He's like, oh, he was the best man at my wedding. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Christopher Floyd at the left bank, he was just like, hey, you know, I can't promise you a job, but... I'll introduce you to Jonathan, put in a good word for you. And, you know, from there, it's up to you, right? So, so he did that. He introduced me to Jonathan over email and over, over cell phone, like got our, got our phone numbers. And, you know, when I moved up to New York, um, literally like every couple of weeks, I'd just, I'd just be calling Jonathan or shooting him an email like, hey, chef, can I work for you? Can I work for you? Can I work for you? Because they hadn't opened up per se yet. And every, every, every other week, it's no, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> and then finally, it was, it was like a you know, wintry December um, 2000, I guess, three, if I got my dates right. Um, they're just about to open that January, and I get a call from Chef Benno. He's like, all right, kid, like, you're in. <laughs> but I mean, let's dissect this a little bit. First, you know, just going to work for free, right? Getting your foot in the door. Um, if you give, you get. Some The universe is paying attention, right? Mm-hmm. If you put effort in, if you're willing to sacrifice and give something of yourself, you will be rewarded some way, somehow. You never know how, yeah. but it's likely. And then that, that persistence, right, of just not taking no for an answer, staying persistent. And when you want it, people know. And that yeah. does, people who are successful in this industry recognize desire, and desire is so important. Especially Thomas Keller did a whole TEDx on t- desire being more important than passion. Right? Yeah, 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 you're right, because passion's fleeting, yeah. and desire is, is, is durable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's like one, like my story of like where, you know, when people ask me how you get into per se, it's like total luck, right? Total luck. Like, how did I know but is that? I mean, but at the same time, like you created opportunities by giving, like yeah. because you gave yourself to this 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 gentleman, what was uh, John? No. Uh, so Christopher Floyd, Christopher, yeah. right? Yeah, and. He, you know, when you give, you get, right? Like, yeah. and he put it, he put it, if you didn't have that connection, do you think you would have gotten the opportunity? No, absolutely not. Exactly. Right. You know? so, so who knows how the universe works, but you got to give something before you expect to get something. Absolutely. And that's kind of the big takeaway yeah. for me. And then that persistence is just so powerful. The persistence is so powerful. Yeah. Just uh, having that. Uh, you know, just having that grit, I guess, yeah. and not taking no for an answer. <laughs> so I don't want to just totally skim over your time right. at CIA. Um, any key mentors, any key lessons during your time there real quick before we talk about So it wasn't CIA. It was French Culinary okay. Institute, uh, FCI. Um, key takeaways from there. I mean, it, it was a, probably a typical culinary school experience filled with a lot of folks who were kind of changing careers like I was. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it was fun. Yeah. But when I look back, it's like I, I didn't really... It's a good foundation. It's a good foundation, but like you really don't learn what a real restaurant's like. (laughs) So um, this, you get this opportunity. John calls you, says, "Okay, kid, you got this." What was it like? Take us through the first couple days at Per Se. Um, Well, I was the last person hired, like lowest person on the totem pole as far as like the culinary staff. Um, Nobody knew who I was. A lot of the folks who there who were there already knew each other and had already maybe worked or stage at the French Laundry, that sort of thing. And so I was the newcomer. Oh, what was that like? Um, it, I mean, what was it like? It was, I mean, it was, it was really intimidating. I right? bet. 
And I think the, I mean, the, some of the funnier stories are just like, you know, this is, again, rewind like 15, almost 20 years ago. It's like someone from Stanford University does not work in a restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And so that was a big question I got all the time. It's like, well, like, why the hell are you here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that probably helped your case because, I mean, it shows that you're intelligent. It shows that you're hardworking. It shows that you have certain ethic, right, yeah. uh, work ethic. So I'm sure that that contributed to you getting this opportunity. Would, would you disagree? Yeah, I feel like they probably knew I wasn't going to burn down the you're place. You're not a dummy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, it's, good, it's good to know. Yeah. Um, so... Describe the culture of per se and, yeah. and how this, you know, if you had a, knowing what you know, breaking down the success Thomas Cullors had, like what was going on? What did you learn from this experience? Yeah, the, the culture, I, I always describe the culture that Thomas has created as probably one of the strongest cultures of any company. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's like you put on the blue apron and you know exactly how you're supposed to act. No one has to tell you. And if you don't act that way, wow, that culture will spit you out so fast. And right? how are you supposed to act? Um, you know, with just with, you know, precision, with speed, with a sense of urgency, everything is soigné, like never cut corners, uh, but also with, with collaborations. Like, you know, one of the things I can remember, one of the early lessons is like, hey, most restaurants, you know, before service, everyone's hoarding hotel pans or, or stuff for their stations. Like, we don't do that here, right? You don't hoard stuff for your station. You know, you collaborate with others. So, um, yeah, it's like they just have it nailed, right? So what do you think that Thomas Keller did to establish this type of culture? Yeah. What things were going on to make sure that – these values were known without being said. Yeah, I think the advantage that um, Chef Keller has is geography. So, you know, I've thought a lot about this you know, in terms of culture building, my own company culture, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about some of these, these, these companies that have really strong culture, so Thomas Keller having one, Zappos is mm. another one, right? Tony Shea, right? Tony Shea, yeah. right? And so it, the similarities there, so, you know, Zappos has written the book on sort of culture, they were able to establish it because they moved from the Bay Area. They moved the team from the Bay Area to Vegas, and they didn't know anyone else in Vegas except for themselves. And they established this this tribe right in in the middle of Vegas, and they had to really know each other and love each other and treat each other as family. So, so that that sort of um, you know really helped enforce this really strong culture, right? Because you don't know anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas actually has a similar thing going on in Yountville, right? Where a lot of the folks who are working for him to this day that are, you know, that I still know have been with him since high school, mm. right? And they're like 30 or 40 years old now, right? And he has this, you know, kind of like the Galapagos Islands, right? You have this, this sort of, this geography that, you know, there's no other sort of folks to work for, you know, you sort of dominate this, this one, this island essentially in Napa that, you know, it's just that familiarity breeds this really strong culture. It's like a tribe, you yeah. know, like you, you become dependent on yeah. the people that are there and because more of a family because yeah. you're not just a number, yeah. right? Yeah. It kind of reminds me, and I, I think I bring this up a lot on the show, but it's the power of 150, right? Yeah. Uh, it, there's n- numbers to show or proof, to sh- there, there's evidence to show that people function best in small, tight-knit communities mm-hmm. And once you get that number above 150 of people that cl- that are close to you, mm-hmm. the the quality of those relationships start to dilute. Yeah. And when you're isolated on a little island, right, and you all you have is this 150 people in your network, those 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 relationships, mm-hmm. the bonds between those relationships are so powerful. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's what, what was going on? That that's definitely what was going on. And then so when we opened up per se. You know, I know one of the most top of mind things for him. He didn't tell me this directly. I could I could just sort of just just sort of feel it. it was yeah. like. 
how do we do things in New York the same way we do things in Yountville? Mm. You know, and and the, the constant like sort of uh, thing you'd hear in the kitchen is like, this is how we do things. This is how we do things. Like he flew his porters out from Yountville to New York to train, you know, the dishwashers essentially in New York, how do they wash dishes, you know, mm. in, in Yountville, right? Like he was, he set up two uh, video cameras that were constantly on in each location so you could, you know, with widescreen TVs. And I remember this is like two, early 2000s where like that's really expensive stuff just so like there was a connection yeah. between both coasts. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that because you didn't have the geographic um, isolation, you had to create a a cultural isolation yeah. where your values, your, your mission, all these things, every, like the way we do things is so clear that it become, you become your own little Island within the Island of Manhattan. Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Um, any other big lessons before moving on to the, the technical part of your career when you started, somebody found out that you're good at technology supposedly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think one of my very, uh, yeah, very sort of um, visceral and, you know, it's something that always resonated with me. Uh, so at per se, like as a young cook, uh, one of the things you do is, is make brunoise, right? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a one Not millimeter. Completely. Yeah, it's a, so it's a perfect one millimeter by one millimeter cube dice of carrot, turnip, and leek. Right? And you, me as a, as a comey, that's my job, one of my major jobs. And to do that, you have to create sort of like a couple quarts of this a day. It it's like multi-hours. It's like three or four hours, at least at my speed at that time. It took a long time because the knife work is so precise. And so one night I was in charge of this um, and to get it ready for the lunch service on, a, I think it was a Saturday the next day. And so I, I do it, you know, I think I, you know, blanch it off. I put it up t- sort of on a sheet tray top of the line to dry off. And I can remember going back to my station back in the prep, prep kitchen and, you know, start cleaning up, getting ready to go home for the night. It was like probably like 10 or 11 p.m. by that time. And then I hear a shout from Jonathan, uh, Chef Benno. He's like, Wilfred. He's like, I'm like, yes, chef. So I go running up and he's like, you know, did you make this? And he's, I'm like, yes, chef. And he's like, this is too big, right? And psh, like throws it all in the trash, right? And um, okay, so it's already late. I know I need to go home. I just sort of failed at this task that, you know, the lunch the lunch crew needs, mm. right? So I make a commitment to myself that night, like, hey, you know what, even though I'm not scheduled to come in tomorrow morning, I'm going to show up, you know, 6 a.m. to get this done for the lunch service, right? So that's what I do. I don't get much sleep. I go home, you know, come back to the restaurant. I don't clock in, you know, and I just get to work on this brunoise. And so I'm doing it, and I'm in the prep kitchen doing it, and it's, it's going well this time. And uh, the sous chef at the time, uh, executive sous, his name's Corey Lee, if you're familiar yep. with him. You know, the chef proprietor of, of Bennu. Mm-hmm. Um, so Corey sees me because he's in charge of the lunch crew at that time. And he's like, Wilfred, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, you know, I explain the situation. Hey, chef, I messed up on the Brunoir last night. I'm here. I didn't clock in. You're not paying me, but I want to get this done because I know you guys need it. And he's like, well, you know, that's great and all. But if you want to be a great chef, you got to get your stuff done on time. And he walks away. and so yeah in that moment am i am i sort of like you know angry like hey (laughs) dude i'm here for free busting my ass but you know that again i'm telling the story because like that is a lesson that has just stuck with me over time what's the big lesson there? the big lesson is yeah if you want to be good at what you do you got to get it done you got to execute yeah and unwavering standards i think is another lesson there where he didn't let anything that's not to standard just doesn't get by, you know, yeah. and having that filter and not wavering, even though like, Oh, we're, we're close. Like we only have so much time. Like, well, it's good enough. No, it's, yeah. it's going to be just the way we do it. And that's it. Yeah. Perfect standards. Right. Yeah. I love it, man. Great stuff. So 
We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media, attention with the world sell gift cards take catering orders and much much more in other words bento box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most your restaurant bento box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence profits and relationships online sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable one more time that is getbento.com slash unstoppable so we're back now how did you make the transition from being in the kitchen to focusing on technology for all of thomas rest thomas colors restaurant groups we even talked about you coming back to you Yountville, did we yeah uh, yeah. yeah i mean it, it was it's probably one in the same so i wanted to come back to Yountville, but by by the or to california in general yeah. And because um, New York is just so high energy <laughs> <laughs> and expensive. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, but at the same time, like, look, I, I, I was having imposter syndrome, mm. right? It's like the folks that were working around me were all, you know, men and women who had essentially been cooking since their teen years. Yep. And I'd started whatever in my late or my, you know, after, you know, 23 years old. But anyways, they were way better than I was. Got you. And so I just felt like I'm an imposter. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to cook at their level at some point, but I love the industry. It's like, what else can I do? It's like, Hey, there's, there's sort of, you know, I, I wasn't sure. Right. Actually. Like I, I thought about front of the house. I was thinking about a bunch of things. Um, but um, yeah, they were like, Hey, Will, like you went to Stanford, right? It's like, we have this technology problem. Like, would you like to, you know, tackle it? Tackle it <laughs> yeah. Essentially. And it's like, yes, chef. Like, I didn't know, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what it was. You're like, I did psychology. It's like the opposite yeah, I know. of technology is humans. <laughs> you know, I, I think like, you know, they saw that, well, one, like the, like the way they run their company. And I'm pretty sure it's probably the same to this day. It's like, if you know the culture, you buy into that and you know, the people and you sort of know how to navigate that. And you know, the operations, like they'll put you in a, you know, they'll, they'll let you, learn and they'll let you try to solve problems yeah. right so that's what i think they saw in me and like you know wikipedia was my best friend at the time was like what is cat five like what is ethernet <laughs> yeah. um, but you know just learning right like how do i how do i you know implement technology uh to help the, the company yeah and so that was like um you know we were, we were expanding as a restaurant group we had per se we we're opening the bouchon in new york we had vegas and it's like point of sale was like one of the big projects like how do we switch over from what we we're using to this you know new point of sale so this time it's yeah. 2006 to yep. kind of give some perspective for the listeners right. um i mean the the technology the technology landscape in the hospitality industry was a lot different in 2006 than where it is today yeah. um but what did you learn any key lessons from just studying technology within the restaurant industry that stick to, with you to this day well i mean for me personally what i learned was because at that up until that point i was just a cook right and it's just like hey all i knew about the restaurant world was cooking mm-hmm. and so when i was you know dropped into this it role it really opened up my eyes on like actually there's so much more to running restaurants than just cooking Mm. right obviously there's front of the house right and most people just would stop there but it's like because i was in charge of technology and every single different organization or team in the company needed technology that's accounting that's private dining that's hr right uh especially as you start to scale in multiple locations you need all these elements that weren't really necessary before exactly reservation so it's like 
through osmosis, I had to learn what every single team in the in the company need, needed to do to help them with technology. And for me, that was just like that was going to business school for me. Yeah, I can right? imagine. Right. So, um, so you're learning all these different components of the industry. Like, what's what's going on next? How to pull it all together? Like, what's the the, the thought process there? Um, you know, for for the company or what do you, what do you mean? Just generally. So, yeah. the, the point when I picked up from you is yeah. like you had to learn all aspects of the business. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to technology, uh, what was the end result of that? Like going around and learning, was there one solution or what, would the, what was the challenge of, of having to do this, this tackle this project? Yeah. I, I, it was just like, again, just understanding what every single department needed mm-hmm. and then helping them figure out the best tool. So, yeah. you know, that was point of sale. That was actually open table. It was putting in Salesforce for the, the reservations team so they could track VIPs. You know, there was inventory software for the wine guys, gotcha, you know, gotcha. it was just, a whole, whole bunch of things. I think something that's been kind of a reoccurring uh, theme on the show is that I think when people think of the restaurant industry, when they get involved in the restaurant industry, they have like a one-track mind, yeah. right? It's like, okay, I, I started as a cook, and then I become a chef, and then I own a restaurant. Yeah. But there's so many verticals. There's so much. If, there's so many things that the, 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 the that this industry needs, talents that this industry needs, that there's really un limited amount of opportunity if you think outside the box or you, sh- you shatter the box right and then you can have a career in technology under underneath the restaurant umbrella yeah. right so just be open-minded and and be um receptive to what people see in you because they might help put you on the right track right? absolutely so even though it's not the traditional track i mean there's just so much opportunity within this industry yeah there's there's uh if you, you know yeah again there's yeah room for all these skills that i didn't know at the time i thought it was just about you know cooking and serving food yeah right? so when did you have the dream to open your own place when did that start to bubble up with within you yeah i think that's you know i don't want to speak and overgeneralize but you know that's generally the path folks are yeah. on in our industry it's like i'm gonna open my own shop one day and so that was always sort of the plan so um, what was your vision so initially you know i so i, I quit you know, uh, or left the, the French laundry after sort of five years, and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. But nothing motivates you more than being unemployed, right? I'll put it <laughs> yeah. that way. Um, so I started working on some ideas. Um, you know, initially it was more of like a sit down, maybe yakitori join. Do you, mind, do you mind me asking yeah. why initially you left? What was the reason for getting away? Oh, it was. It was. I thought like for me, like I was at sort of. The, the the peak of what I would learn at you, that point. You did it in a real fast track way too. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. So you did it in a fast track way to get. I mean, from getting into the industry to what, 2003. Yeah. To 2006, yeah. you went from no real restaurant experience yeah. to the most competitive, yeah. well known restaurants in the world. I mean, yeah. it's pretty incredible what you did in three years, right? Think about who else has done that. <laughs> you know, it's, we just have to highlight that. So, what was going through your mind when you when you were thinking about exiting? Yeah, it was, it was, it was simply like I knew I wanted to start my own restaurant, even though I didn't know exactly what that would be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, IT wasn't going to be my career path. Right. So, um, but now I had learned so much about, oh, this is like what it takes to run a restaurant group. You know, you need accounting, you need all these different departments. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I sat down, I was thinking about maybe doing a yakitori joint in San Francisco and, you know, it's taken a a decade to finally have a couple good ones now because <laughs> uh, that's a, that was a real need but you know i i settled in on on spice kit okay and um the reason being is like a couple of things like one you know the I, i'd never raised money or done any of this stuff before but like talking to my friends who were in technology or giving me coaching they're like hey yeah we can introduce new investors but a lot of them want to see sort of like scalable concepts not sort of like one like a sit-down restaurant um so that that was sort of the framework I was coming at it from. And then, you know, just resonating with my own 
background, it's like I grew up in Ohio, and most Midwesterners think Asian food is Panda Express, <laughs> and there was an opportunity yeah. to, to change that. Okay. So one thing I think is really interesting, again, this is 2008, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is... I think Chipotle exists at this yeah, time, but there yeah. isn't this like boom of like the fast casual create hasn't quite kicked off yeah. yet. So who was it that was telling you that you wanted to, to focus on this vertical, the, the fast casual quick ser- service vertical? So yeah, it was a couple angles. One was from the investor side. I was like, Hey, you know, it's more interesting if it's scalable. And then that tied directly into my own experience, which is like, I know how to cook. I don't yeah. know anything about front of the house. Yeah. And so fast casual is that perfect format where I don't have to worry about front of the house. I mean, I don't think fast casual was a term at this point, was it? Was it, 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 was, it was very nascent. Yeah, you're yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, um, but maybe, I think there's a lesson there. Um, you, you got good advice. If you're going to treat your small business like a big business from day one from day one mm-hmm. think about don't think about like right now think about what where you want to be and how you can influence your business today to get there mm-hmm. later right and yeah. i think that's really good business advice um so what were the the challenges of getting this vision to you know a real tangible thing um it's probably similar to everyone who's listening right it's <laughs> yeah. like you know how do you get that initial capital if you never if you've never done it before you know talking to lawyers being and able then, to tie your brand to thomas keller must have been able to help that that i mean I, yeah i can't you can't i can't explain how much that helps right it's yeah. just like hey this you know this kid went to a good college and he worked for one of the best chefs in the world who's at the top of his game by the way um that helped you know bring a lot of trust but that's and a huge lesson yeah. you know if you if you want to make it in this industry go go tie your personal brand mm-hmm. to other successful brands it doesn't have to be thomas keller it can be whatever successful brand is in your community you can do it locally yeah. right go work for the best and and people investors will see they'll 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 associate you with yeah. success yeah uh, and you'll learn a lot in that process too yeah. um what else were you doing that you think contributed to your ability to go out and open your own place uh just being naive <laughs> <laughs> just, doing it? just not knowing yeah. what how hard it was going to be so how right. hard was it what were the biggest challenges um you know aside from the the fundraising and sort of the legal parts of it i mean it's just constant learning i think the construction phase like like probably a lot of your listeners can mm-hmm. resonate is like the most stressful phase because these change orders yeah. you know cost so much money and like we were working in a union building downtown and actually PG&E the electron the, the 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 gas company so we signed the lease and we're like okay cool where are we going to hook up the gas stoves to <laughs> and the building's like oh we don't have a gas line Ooh. and it's like okay uh, and so like. Yeah, we had to get the local electrician company or the the PG&E to to install a gas line in the building, which took months. Mm-hmm. Um, yada yada yada. Like yeah. I, you know, everyone's been through that. <laughs> yeah, and I think the the lesson. I mean, were you working with um with contractors? Working or, with contractors. Yep. So yeah. was there knowing what you know now? Is there anything you could have done differently to to make sure that these boxes were being checked that you, that you were considering all things? <sighs> you know. Um, I think you just have to go through it. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many curveballs that yeah. can come at you and to, to know exactly what's coming. That's the thing. It's, you don't know yeah. until you start. Yeah. Um, but I mean, <laughs> and that's what I said. It's like, it, it's like right? being naive yeah. is the best part of this. Cause like, you you don't, if I had known everything I know now, I would You'd be too, scared, too to scared to do exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you scale this in multiple locations, yeah. right? How many locations? Uh, Cause you're here with this group until 2015, right? From 2006 or eight to 2015. Yeah. So seven years. we, we grew it over to three units over that time. Um, you know, and it, you know, it was, it wasn't like a straight line, right? Right. It's like, I can remember early days, like, you know, we opened sort of July, 2010. 
to much fanfare because hey, these you know my my partner Fred he was he had worked for Ron Siegel here in the city at the Ritz Carlton, so we had these sort of brand names behind us or you know that that experience, and all the bloggers were like, cool, fine dining chefs opening up a bun me shop, right? So I can remember that first week, like lines were out the door, and honestly, we couldn't keep up because we didn't know the hell we're doing (laughs) Uh, but then july 4th hits like a week or two later and summer kicks in in the city and it was just like crickets like there was no business and i can remember like for like many months like just sitting there twiddling my thumbs being like hey fred uh, how long do you think this is gonna last right and again we caught a lucky break right so um before you get into that lucky break i'm kind of curious you said when you first started you didn't really you were just you didn't really know what was going on, but you must have learned. You must have adapted and pivoted as you were going through the motions and figuring things out the hard way, which is probably like the best way to figure things out is just to get in there and start doing stuff. How did you evolve the business to adapt? Or are you about to get into that now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we during the whole time we were we were still testing menu items. Like yeah. for us, we were very food focused, so it's like, hey, this isn't quite right, or that's not quite right. Hey, let's run this special or that special. So there was a lot of iteration on on the menu during those months. Okay. There was obviously a lot of like, like our early crew like and they were all you know in their early 20s stayed with us that whole time so we were able to really coach them up get more efficient you know teach them how to be sort of fine dining chefs mm-hmm. even though we had this like sandwich shop right um so that was all preparing right for what would come next and so this was like i think it was december of that year of 2010 like um you know there was there was there's two sort of food critics in San Francisco. There, there was Michael Bauer at the Chronicle and there's this woman named Patricia Unterman at like the SF, uh, I think the weekly, right. And they were, you know, Michael Bauer was like the fine dining guy who yep. would like, you know, write the real sort of, um, uh, reviews. And then but, but Patricia also had a, a very large following and she normally write good reviews, right. Mm-hmm. She was very positive. And I can remember one, one afternoon, this, this woman walks in with sunglasses and she comes to the counter and orders a bunch of food. And, um, she gives me a credit card, and I read the credit card, and I'm like, "Oh, it's Patricia Honorman, right? I, I think I know that name." Right? Yeah, I don't. This sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she, you know, she pays. She goes sits in the sits down while we make the food, and I can remember like going to the back of the kitchen, and be like, "Fred, uh, Patricia Honorman's here. We need to, do, you know, this needs to be the best food that we've ever made." And the the thing is, like at that time, we were iterating on the menu, and one thing we knew was like we had this wrap called the Som. It's like a Korean burrito, so to speak. And up until that point, we've been serving it with like this layer of white rice. The problem with it is, as you can imagine, it's like as you bite in, if you bite the wrong way, all you're getting is like a bunch of white rice, mm. right? And it's not that flavorful. And so we've been iterating on it. We're like, hey, why don't we do it like a kimchi fried rice? So if you do bite the rice, at least you're getting like, you know, yeah. kimchi with it, right? And we, but we hadn't rolled that out yet. So I was like, Fred, like we're doing the kimchi fried rice for this Som now, like for, for her, right? And so that's exactly what we do. We like whip it up on the spot. Like we make it really great, bring it out to her. She eats it and like, you know, goes away. Um, and a couple weeks later, the review comes out um, and she says, hey, the beef Som is one of, I think, arguably one of the best pieces of food in the city. Nice. And, uh, yeah, from that point on, we didn't look back. Lines were out the door. And, and now, not only, like, we're, like, the preparation part was iterating on the menu, but also getting our team set up for that volume that was going to hit again this time around. And we could, you know, by that point, they were all trained and we could, you know, we could, we could do it. Nice. Yeah. So, um, it was at the Spice Kit um, that you had this kind of, like, awakening or this this... This pain point, we'll call it a pain point. Yeah. Talk about that pain point uh, that you were experiencing that kind of sparked this uh, next chapter in your life. Yeah, and so, you know, 
was growing Spice Kit, and that was going well. Um, but you know, we op- we opened our third lo- th- third location. Um, and if you know anything about the Bay Area, it's like we were we we're in San Francisco, we we're in Palo Alto, we we're in San Ramon, so kind of uh, distributed around the Bay Area. Um, but you know what I what I realized was like now I have three units and things are going well. But like for me, it was like I was spending most of my time not doing what I actually enjoyed, which was like serving food, mm-hmm. talking to customers, or just you know providing hospitality. Yeah. Right? It was like I'm understaffed all the, the yeah. time, <laughs> right? I'm behind the counter myself. I'm mopping floors myself. I'm, I'm driving delivery orders myself mm-hmm. because I just can't find people. You're trapped in the business. Not on, you're not working on the business. Yeah. Developing relationships. Exactly. Or yeah. growing the business yeah. at all. Um, and so that was sort of the, the light bulb moment, I think, was like, why hasn't anyone solved this, right? And around the same time, right, Uber, Lyft, sort of these on-demand companies are happening and I'm looking around, I'm like, why hasn't anyone done something similar for our industry? I mm-hmm. think it could work. Um, and so that that was, yeah, that was called the light bulb moment. This was like 2014. Um, but I didn't quit my day job right away. Yeah, right. well, I think that's a good yeah. spot. We're going to queue it up. We're not going to do a speed round today. We're yeah. going to unpack yeah. uh, the evolution of what would become paired. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let you tell us more about that when we come back. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs that's awesome head over to restaurant 365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30 percent off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system a value of 5k so we're back and now so you have this this pain point yeah. right um you're stuck working the line you're not doing the things you want to do to be able to scale your business yeah. to grow relationships and there's got to be a better way yeah uh, there's got to be a, a gig economy solution for the hospitality industry yeah. right what were, what series of actions did you take to yeah. to make this this idea the solution come to fruition? Yeah. So if you can again, like just remember, my background was working for Thomas Keller. So yeah. it's like, yeah, this seems like a good idea on the surface, but there's no way restaurateurs would use this. Mm. Like, Why do you think that way? Because I came from Thomas Keller, where where <laughs> the culture was so important. Yeah. As we, and it, it still is, right? And so the first thing I did was start talking to my, my buddies, right? So anyone who I knew who ran a restaurant, just asking them, like, what is your biggest problem, right? And time and time again, it was labor, staffing. Labor, I asked staffing, that question right? to every guest. Yeah. And 99.9% of the time, the biggest challenge is finding people to work. Yeah, I was calling my buddies who I worked with at Per Se, like Jose Salazar in Cincinnati or, or Sean McCrane in Seattle. Like, hey, guys, what's your biggest problem? Staffing. Oh, it's okay. It's like now. Now I, I realize it's not just me, no. and it's not just the Bay Area. No, it's the this world. This is yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So that was my sort of first step, um, but still couldn't get over the hump on sort of starting a company around this. So the the call I make is to 
to Chef Keller. Right? What was the hump? What was the big thing that was holding you back? Well, there was a few things. There was like one, I don't know if restaurants will use this. And then, you know, honestly, the bigger one is like, hey, I had, I have investors and I've built Spice Kit and I can't abandon what I have built. Right? I was curious about that. Yeah. I was wondering about the transition, but keep right. going. Um, so those are the two things holding me back. But, I, you know, this, this idea is just n- literally gnawing at the back of my head. Every morning I'd wake up and be like, why isn't anyone doing this? Why isn't anyone doing this for, for, for weeks? And so I decided, yeah, I should set up a call with Chef Keller. And I'm like, if there's anyone who's going to talk me out of this idea, it's going to be him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we set up a call. I get out on the phone with, with him. And I'm like, hey, Chef, you know, what do you think about this idea for, like, Uber for cooks? Right? It's like, hey, you know, sort of these commoditized tasks like dishwashing are, like, the backbone of our industry. Um, would you use this? And, again, I fully expect him to say, no way, Will. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> but he's like, well, you know what? I would use this. I'm like, nice. I was like, hold on, hold on. I was like, chef, remember when you opened Per Se, you flew your porters out from Yountville to train the ones at, in New York. Like, there's no way you'd allow like a random person to walk into your kitchen and, and do work. He's like, yeah, well, I, I did that. But he's like, as long as you're working within a team, there's no reason why someone you know, skilled can't come in and work within that team and be effective. And so that was that was the that was the call. That was like the thing that was like, okay, if if Chef Keller can find just the sliver of value oh, in yeah, my idea, yeah. then there's folks that would find a lot more value because they're they're not as you know they don't have as high standards as he does, mm. right? And so that gave me the confidence like, okay, there's a there there. I, I should pursue this. Yeah. So I'm curious. You did mention, and this is one thing, and I'm happy that you brought it up. You were committed to the Spice Kit. Yeah. Um, but now you're still a board member of the Spice Kid, yeah. are you not? Yeah. So what was, how did you, how did, I mean, in case, I think this is good advice because yeah. there might be somebody out there who has a business yeah. and then they're doing great, yeah. but they feel like they're, they're tied to it and they can't grow beyond it. They can't move beyond the business because it's, you know, it's their obligation, right? Yeah. And um, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to, we're going to take care of what we created, right? But yeah. how are you able to transition away from um, the mm-hmm. Spice Kit to, to focus on a new opportunity? Yeah. And take us through that process. How to do that, right? Yeah, it was it was a lot of soul searching, but at the end of the day, the the solution was just transparency. Mm. It was me sitting down with every single one of my investors who gave me money and said, "Hey, look, I have this other idea that that I think could really work." Mm-hmm. Um, and now my advantage was being in the Bay Area. A lot of my investors were tech investors already. Okay, so they're like, "Oh, Will, like um, yeah. this is cool. Here's right? perking up. Yeah, yeah, here's perking up," and so. They and, and you know the feedback I got time and time again was like, well, if there's anyone who can solve this problem, it's you because you have this insight of running restaurants. And so at the end of the day, most of like sort of our early investors who made up the sort of initial pot of money that allowed us to start the business were Spice Kit investors. They, oh, they invested awesome. me. They invested me. You know, it's all about people. Really, yeah, right. Yeah, and getting back to psychology, right? Yeah. But I think the big lesson there is just transparency. Um, yeah. And it, you found a way to bring them in on this opportunity too. So no, you're no longer leaving them. Yeah. And in, in your dust, you're saying, "Come with me." Absolutely. You know, and yeah. make, be a part of this. Yeah. I think is another big part of that. So. You, you have hope and you're going to go for it now. You have investors. You're going to go for it. Um, where, where were you then? This is 2015, right? Mm-hmm. And where are you now? Like how have you scaled the company and how has the company evolved paired? Yeah, it's been, it's been a, an awesome journey, right? All right. So when we started the company sort of late 2015, um, call it early 2016, like th- still the idea was Uber for cooks, mm-hmm. right? It was just like, can I get like a last minute dishwasher tonight? Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's what I thought was the big idea. Right. But 
we got into it and like folks would, you know, restaurants, early restaurants would use us for this on-demand use case. But really quickly after that, like within, within weeks, like restaurants were like, hey, hey, well, can we just book out in advance? Yeah. Like, can I just make my schedule? Right. right? It was yeah. like, duh. Like, like why didn't we think of that? <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, hey, can we just set up this recurring order? Like send me someone Monday, Wednesday, Friday who can do this job. And then restaurants were just telling us, you know, some just telling us like, hey, I'm not even going to like hire anyone for this role anymore. Can you just send us someone like to do the job? Yeah. As long right? as we have like a one month cushion of somebody right. lined up, like why hire? Exactly. Somebody? Yeah. And so it was like, oh, my God, like it, it changed from this, again, this Uber for cooks idea to what I call like cooks in the cloud. I was going to say it's kind of like a scheduling app yeah. almost. Yeah. And I was like, OK, why? Like, so that, that sort of just changed the way we were thinking about the business because it was like, why is this so crucial? Is because labor is one of our prime costs. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you can flex that labor cost, make that you know, turn a fixed cost of like, let's say, a W-2 employee for 40 hours a week and, and instead use paired for whatever you need, like. 29 hours a week or 23 hours a week like that's super valuable to a restaurant owner yeah i'm really interested in that um one of my questions was going to be how does this affect the bottom line is it more expensive is it less expensive um get get into that exactly yeah. how how that compares to hiring somebody full-time yeah so it's it's less expensive i mean the markets that we're in like san francisco new york 17.95 an hour mm. to have someone scheduled out in advance to come to you, right? And so you, you work, if you just do the math, like in San Francisco, if you're paying some minimum wage, you know, a little over 15, and then you're paying taxes, benefits, plus, 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 you're actually at like $20, $21 an hour for that employee. Okay. Right. And that's not even counting the recruiting costs and the training costs, right? So at $17.95 an hour impaired, it's pretty much cheaper or the same that you're paying your own W 2s. But in this case, we're like saving you. That, that training cost, that recruiting cost, but also allowing you to really flex those hours, right? Instead of having to, because what happens today is like you hire someone off Craigslist and the person's like, hey, I'll work for you, but you need to guarantee me like, you know, whatever, 35, 40 hours. Yeah. And like, you're desperate. So you're like, yeah, fine, I'll guarantee you. Even though I don't need you for all that time, yep. I want to guarantee you those hours. Um, but now with parrots, like you don't need to do that. Like you can really just dial in the exact amount of labor that you need. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you said... I get that there's no recruiting costs because yeah. you, you have this tool they're using, but yeah. no training costs. So are, when these dishwashers or a cook comes to you, yeah. um, you think there'd be a little, because they don't know your menu. Sure. They don't know. There's got to be a little bit of a, sure. a, 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 a period where you're, you're training them you're, the way you do things, yeah. right? So how do you get around that, that curve, that challenge? Yeah, I mean, and we've gotten better with that over time. And that's what our technology is built off of because we're called paired mm-hmm. and we're trying to pair the right people to the right opportunities. Um, so... So yeah, it's, it's it's through the technology that we're trying to figure out like who is able to do these jobs like well, um, and to sort of reduce the time of onboarding. Um, but a lot of the work that folks are doing are things that are picked up very easily. It's like we like look, I'm a chef, right? I understand that no one's going to walk in and know your menu, how to do the pickup, how to plate the dish, right? Like that's not what paired is today, at least. Um, it's like, hey, if you need someone to, again, wash the dishes or, you know, help you with a party, plate a bunch of stuff, um, you know, that's where we're really effective is like these, these again, these jobs that you just, that are sort of transferable, right? Yep. And this is this happens all the time in our industry before pair. I mean, we have stages, we have externships. So it's not like foreign to us yeah. to have folks in our kitchen helping out, uh, but we just made it, just better and easier. <laughs> yeah. So I would imagine too that it, um, if somebody is using paired, a yeah. cook is using paired, they're going to find the restaurants that 
they're going to develop habits yeah. or patterns where like, oh, I, I like working for these restaurants. Yeah. I know these people. If I'm going to schedule myself out a month, I might as well do it with a group of people that I know and like. Yeah. Right. So you probably, you know, you probably get a lot of repeat visitors, right? Yeah. The same people start coming back. So I can see that kind of making sense. Yep. Uh, I think the other really interesting thing from a user standpoint, from a, a cook standpoint, yeah. um, we say it all the time on the show, go out there and get experience, get in as many kitchens as possible and find out what you love to do. Yeah. And I see this, this app being a great resource, uh, for somebody to, to go out and just, and to try different things and yeah. get a paycheck for it, uh, to figure out what their niche is, to figure yeah. out what their, what their, what yeah. their true passion is. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. So we started again, like, like kind of like how the idea evolved for the restaurants from Uber to cooks to sort of this, like, you know, cooks in the cloud staffing platform sort of long-term staffing for your business the same thing evolved on on the other side where it's like we know that you know early on we thought you know the value to the pros or the cooks on our platform was just hey earn more money and have flexibility Mm -hmm. which is a big deal right because folks in our industries are working a big thing no flexibility we're 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 slaves to our job exactly so that that is still a big thing but what we also realized was Look, there's no platform that allows you as a professional in this in our industry to show employers how much you're worth, mm. right? LinkedIn, right, exists for maybe you and I and white collar jobs or management, or, you know, sort of in this industry. Why are we why are we on LinkedIn? So we can earn more money over time. But there's no platform for identity for for a cook in this industry, and they're not using LinkedIn. So what we realized was like, hey, we were giving folks opportunity through, through sort of earnings, but it was on sort of the back end of all that earning, all those jobs they're doing, that we were actually building their resume for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Right? you get that track record. Yeah, right? you have a track record. So how does that work? Can you, can you like rate and rank in like kind of like how Uber, you get out of the yeah. car, like, oh, this driver was a five stars, like they were polite, the car was clean, blah, blah. Can you yeah. do the same thing with like an employee? Can you, can you rate an employee? Yeah, so there's ratings on both sides. Like the restaurant can rate the pro, the pro can rate the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, it's also, you know, n- not only like sort of did you show up on time, that sort of thing, but beyond that is also who do you know in this industry? Because that is so important, and that, yeah. that that's also my history too. It's like if I don't know the right people, I don't get that next opportunity. So we are, you know, we literally have the relationship graph of of these yeah. folks in our industry of who's who's working with whom and who knows whom. That's neat. So um, one thing we talked about earlier, yeah. and um, it was kind of how we started the conversation around parity. Your yeah. biggest concern was with culture, right? Yeah. So I have this person that's outside of our culture coming yeah. in. Are they going to be able to play along with everybody else? How has that been? How how has it been maintaining? Have you gotten feedback from restaurant owners saying, hey, we've been able to maintain culture or it's been a challenge? Yeah. How are you tackling that problem? So, you know, I can answer a couple of ways. One, culture is a problem, especially when folks are stressed out, mm-hmm. right? And they're working harder than they think, you know, they're not getting paid enough to work that hard because they're, they're sort of understaffed. So, a fund- like, fundamentally, we can help that. It's like, hey, now you're not understaffed. So your staff is just happier now. Yeah. Your, your employees are happier. Yeah. So that helps culture to begin with. And then, you know, the folks that we send in, again, we're using the relationship graph. So it's like, I always say, it's not just what you know, it's who you know. Mm. So it's like two people can slice mangoes. So it's like, like they, they can equally slice mangoes. But one guy sliced mangoes for Chipotle and the other guy sliced mangoes for the French Laundry. Mm-hmm. Two different cultures, yeah. right? So that's what we're, we've built into sort of our, our technology to, to get the right people into the right you know, sort of restaurants with the culture that they could fit in with, right? Got you, yeah. got you. So is this more just a back-of-house tool or are people using it for front-of-house too? So we start with back-of-the-house because that's what we know. Uh, that's what I knew. But yes, over the past year, we've rolled out more, more roles front-of-the-house like cashiers, baristas, barbacks, that sort of thing. And I think that might actually be more of a, a difficult trans, transition, getting that, that front-of-house 
aspect there because so, I mean the traditional uh, trajectory for our new hire is like okay like the first couple of days you're just learning about the company we're testing you we're giving you the information and then for a couple of days you shadow somebody yeah. and you see how we do things here and we, we test you on the menu right um, I feel like you have to be able to know the restaurant more or yeah. better as a server because you're representing you're you're facing the public has that been a challenge yeah so we're, we're not doing um, servers today okay like the to your point, like usually you have to have a really deep knowledge. Yeah. But we are doing a lot of those support roles, like like busters and gotcha, gotcha. that sort of thing. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just curious. So it must have been because I can see that being a huge challenge. Yeah. We got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Um. So how how is paired different from other companies out there that are trying to do the same thing? Snag has been. Like, I think it was two years ago. I had Snag when they're. You know, are you familiar with yeah, Snag? Yeah. So how? What, what's your unique selling proposition? How are you guys doing things differently? Yeah, I think that our our main advantage is that we are just laser focused on this industry. So there's there's other folks out there, maybe like Snag. Um, they're just saying, hey, we're going to help restaurants with staffing, mm-hmm. but also we're going to do housekeeping and we're going to do general labor and we're going to do warehousing and retail like pick and pack whatever and so you get this this sort of you're you're a mile wide and an inch deep Mm -hmm. right whereas our our approach is like no like look i came up in this industry this is the community i want to help Um, this is what we're passionate about it's a huge industry it's a huge problem one in ten americans and we're not going to do housekeeping and we're not going to do general labor it's like no we're going to help the people in our industry with our solution, right? And we don't need to do anything else. And what that allows us to do is to be laser focused and use just, you know, just improve the product for our industry mm-hmm. instead of having to improve it for a bunch of other industries. Awesome. We just learn faster. So so where is paired today? Like yeah. it, if people are listening to this and they're working in the industry or uh, they own a restaurant and they want to look into leveraging this network that you guys have created, yeah. like where does Paired paired exist today? Yeah, so we're in the San Francisco Bay Area, our first, you know, our first market, uh, New York as well. So um, uh, Manhattan and, and the surrounding boroughs. And then we just launched Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. about a month ago. Okay. And where do you plan to be, say, in the next six months? Um, so, yeah, we're, we're planning on rolling out more cities. Uh, haven't decided exactly which ones yet. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're growing what fast. What classifies a city that's worth getting into for you guys? To give the, the listeners an idea of where you might be showing up. In yeah, the I mean, I think, like, at a, at a very basic level, like... You know, you can think like the major metros yep. make a lot of sense. Got gotcha. you. Right. So that was uh, San Diego, New York, Philadelphia. Oh, sorry. sorry no, uh, sorry, San, San Francisco. Francisco. Sorry. Yeah. I got my sands messed yeah. up all the time. San Francisco, New York, Philadelphia. And D.C. And D.C. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, anything we haven't discussed up to this point about where you are with Paired, uh, the opportunities that are laid within Paired that we should know about before starting to say goodbye? Yeah. I mean, I think like the biggest point that that maybe folks miss is like, hey, this isn't just like again, an Uber for cooks, even though that was the initial idea, like the, the way we really, you know, help people is to create that professional, um, that resume for folks, yeah. you know, to allow folks to level up. Cause everyone starts out in our industry. Like people spend a long time in our industry. Right. And like myself, you start at the bottom and you work your way over time. And like, I wish I had some way to prove that to folks, right? Mm. And so I know there's like, there's millions of others who wish that they, they could prove that to folks because what happens today is like, yeah, you've worked your way up at this restaurant. Maybe you move to the different city and you start back over again at minimum wage, right? Because yeah. there's no way to prove that you're worth more money. Yeah. So where are we at today um, as far as the 
the the the evolution of paired. Um, where do you guys think? Like, what are restaurant owners saying? What what kind of impact are you having? Do you have anything like that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our restaurants have told us like, hey, yeah, you're helping us reduce costs, right? That's obvious, like saving on overtime, saving on stress and recruiting. But the things that get me really excited are when when restaurants are telling me like, now I can expand. Mm. Right. Like we've had we've had not only restaurants, but catering companies like I can I can do more events now. I can do more private dining now. I can take on that extra catering order that I couldn't have before. Right. Um, That that for me is super exciting. Awesome. Um, I've loved this conversation. I couldn't be more excited for what you guys are doing here at Paired. Um, How where do we go if we want to learn more, if we want to get signed up uh, both on the uh, pro side and the restaurant owner side? I mean, am I using the right terms right now? Yeah, the pro pro. Yeah. So where do we go? What's the call to action? Yeah, just I mean, just go to paired.com, P-A-R-E-D.com, and it's pretty easy to sign up from there. Okay. Any advice, both sides, pros and owners, getting involved, mentality of, you know, what the, the mentality you should have getting started, uh, best practices along those lines you can give us? Yeah, I mean, for, for a restaurant owner, it's like, again, it's, it, you know, Uber for cooks is one way to look at us. Hey, we're just a sort of stopgap solution when someone calls out sick. But if you really think about like where your most bang, sort of the thing that you can affect for your business, right? We always talk about food costs, right? But food costs take forever to affect. You got to change your menus, you got to negotiate with vendors. Where your real leverage is as a restaurant owner is your labor cost. And so using Paired to help you dial that in is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Got it. What about on the pro side? And on the pro side, yeah, it's, 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 it's using it to build your identity, right? So, yeah, we can help you, you know, pay the cell phone bill this month or maybe even like, take a vacation. But this is a platform where, you know, you're going to be in this industry for many years. Like, use it to build your identity, connect with other folks so you can grow your career. Yeah, drop that website on us one more time. It's uh, www.paired.com. Awesome. awesome. And um, this is episode 650. 72 we're getting up there 672 head over to restaurantstoppable.com such 672 i'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as the links to how to connect and get signed up um i'm sure you can give me those those pro- appropriate links uh android uh apple um, ios i'm sure, sure they're all on those platforms you right? got it yep. yep beautiful and um just again i actually know i almost forgot to ask i wrap up every episode and i didn't warn you about this oh. i apologize i wrap up every episode by having my guest call somebody out that's how I found my future guests for this show. So who do you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Yeah, uh, I would say Jose Salazar in Cincinnati. Right. Look out, Jose. I'm coming after you. I'd love <laughs> to get you on the show. And uh, just again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story, your knowledge, and to put paired on our radar. Awesome. I'm really excited for you. And there is no question, my man, you are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Cheers. All right, there you go. Another one in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And I cannot be more excited to announce that we are going to be publishing a video with each and every of our new episodes coming into the future. And I've actually recorded over 50 interviews, I believe, to date with video. We're going to be releasing those slowly over time into the future. So uh, be sure to keep an eye out. I promise within the next week, I'll let you know exactly where you can find these things and how you can find them. And I think this is the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. This is the natural evolution and it's only going to get better. I'm super excited. So be sure to stay tuned to find out exactly where these suckers are going to be released and how to listen and, and watch. That's right. You get to see this handsome mug every day (laughs) along with the incredible people I'm interviewing. So yeah, get excited because I know I'm excited. All right. Until next time, peace out.